A few weeks ago, I was sitting in a conference room with my colleague Sarah Fryer. She covers Facebook and had something to show me. It was an impressive collection of screenshots of drugs for sale on Facebook and Instagram. So this is a typical example of an account. He has these obvious images of drugs. I think this looks like cocaine. Yeah, and this a little looks plastic like baggie. Mm-hmm. Um, there were hundreds of images showing piles of pills, bags of meth and cocaine, stacks of fentanyl patches. In the photo caption or at the top of the profile page would be all the information to buy the drugs and have them shipped to your house. An activist named Eileen Carey had sent me these files. I'm constantly hearing about people's problems with Facebook and Instagram, and I think it's because I've been writing for so long about how bad they are with policing content. They hire thousands of people to review what we post online, but sometimes there are big, terrifying gaps in enforcement. Eileen had spotted a big one. Eileen doesn't work for the police or the government or anything. She came across the issue through her work in cybersecurity and crisis management, because in addition to the vacation pics and brand campaigns and celebrity posts, Instagram is also a place where illegal drugs and counterfeit prescription medicines are sold. And it's all out in the open. To find the stuff, you just need to search for the right hashtag. Hashtag Xanax, hashtag 30 milligrams, hashtag Xanax bars, hashtag OxyContin, hashtag painkillers. Hashtag codeine, hashtag hydrocodone, hashtag AIDS. This is the first episode in our new season of Decrypted, dedicated to exploring how the tech industry is pushing the limits of the world around us. Today, we'll tell you about Aileen's fight to get Instagram and Facebook to take down posts showcasing drugs for sale. Despite the explosion of this type of content, Facebook and Instagram have been slow to react, choosing to push the limits of what its users and lawmakers would tolerate before taking action. I'm Pia Gadkari. And I'm Sarah Fryer, and you're listening to Decrypted. One day, Eileen reached out to me on Twitter, and I agreed to meet her. It was a rainy day in December, and we talked for two hours straight on a couch at her co-working space. I I grew up in Dobbs Ferry, New York, uh, same small three-mile town as Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, We're the same age. Eileen had worked on Wall Street for a couple of years. Then she moved to Silicon Valley. So I moved out here thinking I was going to work at Facebook or Google or, you know, one of those companies. She ended up working for an anti-counterfeiting company. Basically, it used technology to search the web for fake versions of its clients' products. It was Eileen's job to make sure the public had no idea just how many fakes were out there. This problem of online counterfeits was somewhat new. It was 2013, and the amount of stuff people were buying online was exploding. And along with that, the volume of fake goods being sold on the internet was exploding too. Eileen's biggest client was the pharmaceutical company Purdue Pharma. The company makes OxyContin, a narcotic painkiller which we now know is incredibly addictive. Eileen already knew about all the drugs being sold online because 2013 was the year when the FBI shut down the notorious website called Silk Road, alleging that it had become a massive online marketplace for buying and selling drugs and guns. But Eileen discovered that there was another way for thousands of online sales to take place. It turns out that it wasn't just counterfeit prescription drugs like OxyContin and Percocet, but all sorts of illegal street drugs that were being sold on Instagram. It is misinformation 
uh, that drug sales happen entirely on the dark web. Sure, maybe wholesale, right? Like huge, huge shipments of of drugs, but direct to consumer purchases of MDMA, of cocaine, of Xanax, that occurs on Instagram, on Facebook. This problem is well known by experts in the space. To, to put it bluntly, it's a colossal issue. That's Daniel Bennett, the CEO of Yellow Brand Protection. He works with some of the biggest brands in the world to help them keep fake products off the internet. Daniel explained that it's easier to block counterfeit goods when they're for sale on an e-commerce website because you have to set up an account before you can sell anything. With social networks, it's different. With Instagram in particular, unlike Facebook, you don't have to use your personal identity to make an account. All you need is an email address or a phone number. Social networks, of course, are are generally um, more complex uh, than, say, for instance, online marketplaces. Um, just pure, just purely down to the fact that obviously, if you go to an online marketplace, you know that there's commercial activity. You know there's something for sale uh, immediately. Whereas searching on social media. Um, you know, you're going to be finding a lot of sentiment, a lot of discussion um, about different products. We're often following links um, through to uh, online pharmacies uh, or, or, or to online marketplaces um, where the actual sale would take place. Sales of drugs seem to be proliferating on all the popular new tech platforms, not just Facebook and Instagram. You could find them on Craigslist, Google, Alibaba and others. Part of Alien's job was to work with the tech companies to see if they would introduce policies to block the sale of drugs on their platforms. Now, Alibaba and Chinese e-commerce companies, they were right there. They were right there for enforcing. They were great partners. They were working with the pharmaceutical companies to remove the counterfeits. Eileen discovered that e-commerce platforms were pretty open to fighting counterfeits. Craigslist was one of the early platforms to block listings about prescription drugs. Amazon and Alibaba have created brand registries, which is a way for brands to fast-track their reports about fake items and get them taken down faster. And Google has strict guidelines about what kinds of pharmaceuticals can be advertised on its platform. The social networks were less willing, so Eileen turned to people she knew to try to understand why Facebook wasn't taking action. You actually knew Facebook employees at this time, and you were having these conversations with them directly. Yeah. And what was that like? Frustrating. They, you know, at the time, it was the, I mean, it's the same kind of bullshit that we hear today of that, you know, there's, there's so much on the platform. We're really focused on terrorism. We're doing a, you know, that's, that's what the, the big problem is, that it's free speech, that if we start policing one thing, you know, we're going to have to police all of these things. Aileen became convinced that Facebook and Instagram were reluctant to act because they weren't legally required to do so. What I know is their legal team was very clear on their policy when we were working with them that, no, they were not going to proactively enforce against counterfeit pharmaceuticals or Oxycontin. Facebook, for its part, said it has long-standing policies against attempts at buying, selling, or trading non-medical drugs, pharmaceutical drugs, or marijuana on Facebook and Instagram, 
And today it says it's trying to make this type of content harder to find. But one of the common arguments I've heard is that at the time, the company wanted to make sure it wasn't setting a precedent that could be damaging to its business. If it took down counterfeit drugs, for example, it might also have to police counterfeit handbags, T-shirts, jewelry, and more. And it took the same approach to illegal drugs. They don't want to be held liable for anything. So it's very similar to the arguments you see about free speech and about how they aren't going to you know, police free speech. They're not going to take down you know, hate speech. Legally, Facebook was in the clear. That's because of a law from 1996 called the Communications Decency Act, Section 230. Essentially, it says that the tech platforms don't need to be held responsible for the content that users post on their sites. There was also a lawsuit from 2008 that set an important precedent for the tech industry. Tiffany's, the jewelry brand, had sued eBay, arguing that the marketplace needed to be proactively taking down counterfeits on its platform. But the courts ruled in favor of eBay. I think the term is generalized knowledge. eBay needs more than simply generalized knowledge that its platform was being used uh, to sell counterfeit products. They had to know or had to have a reason to know that there was a specific listing that was counterfeit. That's Peter Colosi. He's a partner at the San Francisco law firm Seidman and Bancroft, and he specializes in anti-counterfeiting. So when you talk about the Amazons or Facebook or Instagram, you know, they're all subject to this Tiffany v. eBay um, liability requirement that as long as they have a process in place to deal with it, then they're not going to be found uh, to contribute to any trademark infringement or counterfeiting claim. At the end of 2014, Aileen left her job at the anti-counterfeiting company. She decided to start a company of her own called Glassbreakers, which makes software to empower women in technology. But she was haunted by the things she had learned while tracking counterfeits for Purdue Pharma. And the opioid crisis seemed to be getting worse with every passing month, not just with counterfeits. But first, the drug crisis in America today is killing more people each year than AIDS, gun deaths or car crashes did at their peaks. We wanted to understand how the availability of drugs on major tech platforms was affecting communities hit hardest by the opioid crisis. So we talked to Jessica Hale. She's an addiction counselor at Awakenings Counseling Center in Merrillville, Indiana. And she said that she's seeing social networks and multiplayer video games taking over as the simplest ways for her clients to buy drugs. She also said some unrelated developments in the medical community were causing even more people to turn to social media when they were looking for drugs. You know, Norcos are, and Xanax, they, they're easily found that way. Actually, I think it's probably easier to find them uh, that way because um, there's so many people that are getting cut off from their doctors that it's not as easy to get anymore. And to find somebody on the street is a lot harder. I think that uh, social media just makes it a lot easier for them to find it. If they, if they really want it, they can find it. Has this changed at all the relationship people have with a regular street dealer? Oh, yes. Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. Um, you know, 30 and 40 years ago, it wasn't anything. You know, people would find their, their drugs by one uh, person that was their dealer. And 
and but now it's it's just like an advertisement. All these social sites makes it really easy. You could literally spend 20 minutes um, on the computer if you were seriously trying to find some drugs, and uh, you could get them. You just have to just keep going through the different sites. It's just out there. It was sobering to hear from Jessica. Technology and the internet was making it easier than ever for people to buy and sell drugs. Jessica told us that people she was counseling could now just get drugs sent to them in the mail. And disappearing messages, like the sort Snapchat is famous for, allowed people to advertise when they have drugs for sale. The message only stays up for 24 hours, so it's pretty hard to get caught. That's what I'm finding is that that Snapchat thing is is, is tiny. Uh, so it doesn't stay up there long enough to draw other attention. It's reaching the, the people that it needs to, but it's evading some of the other people. So while it might be more more easy to track even on on Instagram or Facebook, it's harder to track on these new platforms like Snap, Snapchat mm-hmm. and um, and the video games, Fortnite. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I don't know a lot about Fortnite. I do know that it's an online gaming system, and my niece does play that, and her boyfriend was able to connect with people um, that would hook up and, you know, trade, sell, or, or whatever. It's easier, easily to do without um, getting caught, so to speak. It's, it's there for a second, and then it, it moves on in the conversation. Snap said in a statement that it's completely prohibited to use Snapchat for any illegal activities and that accounts selling drugs are an intentional abuse of the company's terms of service. It added that such accounts are removed when they're reported. And Epic Games, which makes the game Fortnite, declined to comment. In the meantime, Aileen had started searching proactively for counterfeit drugs for sale on Instagram and was reporting them to the company. This went on for a few years. Eileen said she reported tons of violating accounts that were very obviously showcasing drugs for sale. Instagram's content moderators either didn't respond or Eileen would get these generic acknowledgements saying the posts she was reporting weren't violating any of their rules. We saw the screenshots. The crisis got worse and it got worse and it got worse. I would go in, I would open the app, and I would report on like three to four like drug dealers, and I would document everything. And it just, nothing was changing, nothing was changing. Eventually, the FDA started speaking publicly about the role tech companies were playing in the opioid crisis. Last year in April, Scott Gottlieb, who was the FDA commissioner at the time, called out Facebook and Instagram by name, along with some of the other large tech firms. He called on the companies to do a better job of monitoring illegal opioid sales being advertised on their platforms. And he called for a change of mindset across the industry. The FDA told us that approximately 96% of online pharmacies selling prescription medicines to U.S. consumers are illegal. The FDA also said it screens thousands of parcels at international mail facilities and has taken action against dozens of websites marketing unapproved opioids in an effort to combat the crisis. Meanwhile, around 2017 and into 2018, Facebook started to be criticized for all sorts of content-specific issues. 
from violent videos that would go viral to fake news spread by Russian-backed groups ahead of the U.S. presidential election. Aileen wondered, why isn't anyone at the company doing anything still about the sale of drugs on Instagram? In an effort to get noticed, she started messaging Facebook executives on Twitter. One day, someone finally responded. It was Guy Rosen, a VP at Facebook in charge of figuring out how to automate a lot of the company's content decisions. He had sent her a direct message. Eileen showed me screenshots of their conversation. She wrote, do a search for hashtag fentanyl as well as hashtag oxys on IG and you'll see lots of pics of pills. Those accounts are usually drug dealers. I reported these earlier and they are still there in the hashtag opiate search. There are 43,000 results. Eileen also sent examples of the kinds of Instagram posts she was talking about. Guy wrote back to her. Yikes, he said. This is super helpful. Finally, five years after she first started badgering Facebook and Instagram, someone was paying attention. The searchable hashtags were taken down one day before Mark Zuckerberg testified in front of Congress about data privacy issues and Russian election interference. Towards the end of 2018, a handful of counties in the regions hit hardest by the opioid crisis reported that there had been a decline in overdose deaths in recent months. We asked Jessica, the addiction counsellor in Indiana, whether she thought that action by the social media companies could have helped. Well, of course it would be useful, but I don't know that it would be successful. Drug dealers, kid-seeking, or you know, individual-seeking substances, they always find a way around um, the situation. So if these kids just re-up on a different site under a different name, you know, one of my clients have got four different Facebook um, identities. So when one gets shut down, it just goes through to another. Then at some point, the hashtags that Aileen had helped to block went back up. We're not sure why those hashtags became available again, but by then people seem to be making new hashtags anyway, presumably to get around the fact that some popular ones have been blocked. The other day I was able to find drugs for sale under misspellings of the drug names, like Oxycontin, spelled C-O-T-T-O-N, and I noticed a lot of comments about drugs for sale under pictures of drugs that people might have actually been prescribed. When I was looking, I found I was being redirected to information about recovery and support groups, so actually helpful content. And sometimes, but not all the time, when I tried searching for drug-related hashtags, I would get an automated message from Instagram asking if I needed any help. That's a relatively new feature that was rolled out in the fall. Facebook also said it has been using computer imaging technology to find and remove drug content before anyone sees it. It's part of a new goal to rely on more artificial intelligence for content moderation. The company singled out hate speech, violence, and graphic content as specific areas where it has seen some improvement. Today, Aileen doesn't use Instagram or Facebook. She says it causes her anxiety to even think about it. She was clearly deeply moved and also emotionally drained by this experience of caring about something nobody else really seems to be paying attention to. It's so frustrating to know that nothing is being done. And so I couldn't I couldn't keep doing it. And I couldn't keep reporting to them about it because, A, there's no direct line. So there's no way to actually get in touch with people there. And B, it's kind of hopeless 
if the people at the company don't care about it. Eileen wants the executives at Facebook and Instagram to face consequences. I think that the there has not been true progress on this because nobody at Instagram is in a criminal court proceeding. If the founder of the Silk Road is in jail for drug trafficking, why do social media companies that are making billions of dollars get a free pass to allow and, again, like support the the trafficking of illegal narcotics that are killing us. We tried to talk to an executive from Facebook about this issue, but they declined our request for an interview. Meanwhile, Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg was actually asked about the company's responsibility when it comes to drug sales in a congressional hearing in September. It was a question from Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. So my question to both of you would be, I've heard a report... He made a direct link between Section 230, that law which says platforms are not responsible for what users post, and the number of people overdosing on illegal drugs. To what extent do you bear responsibility for the death of a drug user if they overdosed on drugs received through your platform? Either one. I know it's a tough I'm happy to go. This yeah. is really important to us. The opioid crisis has been devastating and takes the lives of people in our country and around the world. It's firmly against our policies to buy or sell any pharmaceuticals on Facebook, and that includes opioid drugs. We rely on a combination of machines and people reporting to take things down, and I think we've seen market improvements. Sheryl Sandberg didn't really answer the senator's question, and neither did CEO Mark Zuckerberg when West Virginia Congressman David McKinley asked about it during a separate appearance before Congress a year ago. So my question to you is, when are you going to stop take down these posts that are done Ill, on Ill, with illegal digital pharmacies? When are you going to take them down? Congressman, right now, when people report the post to us, we will take them down and have people review. Why do they have to re- If you've got all these 20,000 people, you know that they're up there. Where is your requirement? Where, where is your accountability to allow this to be occurring, this ravaging this country? Congressman, I agree that this is a terrible issue. And respectfully, when there are tens of billions or 100 billion pieces of content that are shared every day, even 20,000 people reviewing it can't look at everything. What we need to do is build more AI tools that can proactively you've find that content. you've been said before you were going to take them down, and you haven't. And they're all So, Sarah, you've spent months reporting this story, and I'm curious, what do you make of Mark Zuckerberg's argument that Facebook needs AI tools to be able to monitor content about drugs and other things? Well, I do think Facebook wants to delve into this issue with AI, but it's very slow going and it's never going to be perfect. The other thing I would note is if you are at the head of Facebook and Facebook is your flagship product and Instagram is the smaller product. And this is an issue that is maybe more specific to Instagram. It just may not seem like the priority for investing AI tools in. We've seen Facebook invest in counterterrorism. We've seen them invest in guns. We've seen them invest in hate speech because of that 
genocide in Myanmar that was that was perpetuated by posts on Facebook. But so far, though we've seen some change, I haven't seen a mobilization on illegal drugs the way I've seen on those other issues. Yeah, and it's hard to understand that because when you think about how deadly the opioid crisis has been in the U.S., it's in a way you might ask what issue is there that's, that could be more urgent. What do you think are the chances that the government might force Facebook by passing some new regulations to take more action on this? For the first time in a very long time, politicians feel like they can be outspoken and critical of tech companies. I think you're right that it's one of the only bipartisan issues in Congress right now is to critique tech companies about how terrible they are at policing content. But, you know, I've listened to those hearings and everyone has their different pet issue that they care deeply about. The senators from West Virginia care about this issue, but other senators care more about bias against conservatives or against liberals. Others care more about discrimination in ads. Others care more about the live shooting, like the one we recently experienced in New Zealand. I haven't seen a coalition come together. I think the best chance we have and and what we've seen is the FDA come down hard on this and tell companies they need to get their act together. Scott Gottlieb has been a, a force on this, but he just left the FDA. So I'm not sure if the next leadership is going to be as on top of this issue. Hopefully they are. Well, I know you'll keep reporting on this very, very important issue. So thanks for sharing your reporting with us, Sarah. And that's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, the Department of Health and Human Services has a 24-hour national helpline where you can find information and treatment referral. The number is 1-800-662-HELP. And if you have a story to share, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Sarah Fryer. And I'm at Pia Gadkari. And please help us spread the word about our new season by leaving us a rating or a review wherever you like to listen. This episode was produced by Pia Gadkari and Lindsay Crowdewell. Our story editor was Emily Biuso. Thank you also to Anne Vandermeer, Aki Ito, and Brad Stone, as well as Liz Smith, Magnus Henriksen, and Tofo Forges. Francesca Levy is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week.